Hello, Pan-Africanists, and thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Pan-African Review podcast. I am Ginti, and today I'll be talking with Levi Kabwato, an African journalist from Malawi. He is a social and political commentator. Levi has published many stories with the Pan-African Review. Today, we'll be talking about one titled Identity and Dignity in Africa's New Liberation Struggle. He argues that as neocolonialism and westernization ravage Africa, that there is need for Africans to articulate exactly what they mean by building the Africa we want. We will take this time to unpack the ideas that he put in this article. Levi, thank you so much for finding time to have a conversation with the Pan-African Review. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Cynthia. Always a pleasure to contribute to the Pan-African Review and to speak to people like you. So really looking forward to the conversation today. Yeah, no, it's really great to get to listen to you. And um, I have an opportunity to ask you many questions. And today we'll be talking about your article, Identity and Dignity in Africa's New Liberation Struggle. That's actually the title of uh, your article. Now, starting with the start, you say that, um, you know, the African Union has set an ambitious theme for 2021, which is the arts, culture and heritage levers for building the Africa we want. And the whole idea that we are still talking about the Africa we want 65 years later, I mean, after the first independence doesn't sit well with you. (laughs) So tell us more. No, it doesn't. Let me just say the the headline itself or the title for the article is inspired by uh, Amilka Cabral's um, sentiments around the role of identity and dignity. We know that Cabral was expressing these thoughts in the subjectivity of the anti-colonial struggle or the liberation struggle, um, as it were. So for me, uh, sitting back and hearing the African Union say, well, you know, we're now trying to look at culture and talk about, you know, the Africa that we want. And I'm like, but wait a minute, why do we have to talk about the Africa that we want when the first independent moment in um, Africa, in Ghana, happened so many years ago, why are we still talking about the Africa we want? Who is the we uh, as well? So that's the question that was really uh, bothering me. But I was also quite relieved that uh, at least the AU was recognizing, you know, arts and culture and heritage as, you know, something that could you know, uh, propel uh, the development of Africa and so on and so forth. So, but there's still some vagueness around this idea of what is exactly the Africa that we want and how does uh, culture, art and heritage contribute to that. So I felt there was a huge disconnect uh, between where we are now and where the people who were fighting for Africa's liberation were and how culture and art and heritage uh, we thought about uh, as it was. So it was really something that's bothering me. It still is uh, bothering me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have heard in various forums an argument that, you know, some of the Asian countries, for example, are better off, even after gaining their independence at the same time as some of the African countries, because they have been able to preserve their culture. And you argue um, and also expand the thoughts of Amilcar Cabral that. You know, cultural resistance is actually a very strong tool against, or I mean, a tool to fight foreign domination. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm Malawian 
1964, when Malawi was gaining independence, I think Malawi was far better or far ahead of a country like Singapore, uh, for example, right? Then all of a sudden we get overtaken, we go backwards, Singapore goes, you know, uh, forward to being like, uh, you know, one of the most critical or most important countries uh, in the world. So you have to ask yourself, what did Malawi do wrong and what did Singapore do right? Uh, the idea that Cabral was bringing to us was that in any given struggle that you face as a nation, your basis for resistance is actually culture because culture is dynamic and it can take on various forms, whether social, political, or economic, right, to then either propel your country forward, but also offer resistance. So you might be bombed, you might be, you know, masses may be killed and everything might, you totally dispossessed as a people, but your resolve to fight or your strength as a nation comes from uh, the strength of your culture, which is why from the onset of colonialism on the continent, if you look at it quite closely, the most insistent part of where colonialism was hitting us in Africa and in other parts of the world which suffered colonialism was on culture, right? So what does this look like in real terms, maybe for, for our generation, right? And maybe something that speaks to our generation, uh, as it were, because we're not there uh, before independence, is how colonialism manifests itself around culture, right? So it's going to school, to primary school, and being told, for example, that you cannot communicate in uh, your vernacular or your indigenous language. You have to speak English. So the whole time you're on school grounds, you have to be speaking English. And that does something to your psyche. I'm not sure where you went, uh, Cynthia, but certainly at the school that I was, you were not allowed to speak any uh, vernacular at all. Right? Absolutely. No, I had exactly. the same experience and me, it was French. And we had this uh, <laughs> this thing that we used to wear really horrible and ugly and it was called porte malheur, which means um, yeah. it's, you know, yeah, it's just like you're a curse, basically. That's, that's, that's the idea. So, yeah, and we had to force ourselves to speak French. I'm not sure if Absolutely. my French comes from there, but yeah. <laughs> yes, go ahead. Precisely. And the whole idea of wearing this thing was to shame you, right? To shame you. But you're not being shamed as an individual. You're being shamed as a culture. You're being shamed as a people. You're being shamed as a collective. But who's doing that? In some cases, your headmaster or the headmistress is a Black person. Your teachers and so on and so forth are Black Right. You might have a few, you know, uh, white uh, superiors there, um, but mostly, you know, and you're doing this in a country that's now led by a black government uh, as well. But consistently, the assault is on your being. Right. So your disposition of your entire being to empty it out of its content. Right. So this is what writers like Steve Biko, uh, Bantu Steve Biko are talking about. This is what Ngugi has pretty much spent all of his writing uh, trying to, um, uh, to articulate uh, as well. So when Cabral says this, what he's really saying is that the only thing that we have that is original, that can give us a strong basis for resistance is our culture. It's not the guns. It's not some other tactics or, or so and so. It's us having 
a cultural base that allows us to think from our originality, to think from out, from within ourselves and therefore be able to articulate. And what are we articulating? We are then articulating the nation that we want. In this case, we are then articulating the Africa that we want. When you say that we need to be very clear uh, about what we mean by the Africa we want, since you know we have a problem with neocolonialism and westernization in Africa, what does Levy mean? Probably some of us or many of us have actually no idea what we want. That is important because what you want is aspirational and therefore what you want sort of like determines the, uh, the destiny or the path that you take to achieve exactly what you want, right? So I want to buy a house. I have to save money to, to buy a house. I want to buy a car. This is what I need to do to achieve that. I want to get married, for example. This is what I, this is how I need to go about it, right? So articulating that aspiration of the Africa we want, there has to be clarity on what is it exactly? What sort of Africa do we want to see? For people who were within the subjectivity of the anti-colonial struggle or the liberation struggle, as Cabral would say, he would say something like, we want to be free. We want to be left alone to make our own history, right? And what is that history? That history is the process of becoming, right? So the same path that was taken by other countries that did their own thing and ended up where they are. Uh, we were speaking about the so-called uh, Asian tigers a few seconds ago. That's exactly that. Being left free in Singapore, being left free to do what it wants. And of course, I mean, it comes with all these other challenges, you know, because there is some form of resistance. China saying, you know, we want to be left free to do whatever we want to do. That's the condition. And that condition to be able to do what you want is what we, sh we should ideally think of as freedom. So that's really that. So it looks simple, right? But how does yeah. it um, manifest itself? So you yeah. get all these things, <laughs> you know, um, governments like to do this a lot. So you'd have like a plan, health for all by, I mean, at that time when I was growing up, it's health for all by the year 2000, education for all by such, such a target, right? And what do we have now, right? So we have agenda, what, uh, 2063, I think they're calling it. Uh, then you have all these other uh, targets that were leading us towards, say, 2030, uh, millennium development goals, sustainable development goals. And we just transition from one deadline to another without any form of accountability. Like, okay, fine. So, I mean, this is the year 2000. Where is the <laughs> houses for everyone? This is the year 2000. Where is the education uh, yeah. for, for everyone? And people yeah. just move past that. And that's not cool at all, right? So when the AU says the Africa that we want, they're thinking in terms of uh, 2063. Cynthia, we're speaking, this is what, 2021? That's what, uh, 42 yeah. years? Yeah, if my math is correct. Um, that's 42 years from now. 42 years from now, I am what? I'm 40, I'm 79, uh, right? <laughs> I'm almost 80. Uh, my daughter, <laughs> who, you know, has just 10, one, is, you know, 43. That's yeah. a long time, you know? And so the people right now at the AU and all these other institutions who are talking about Agenda 2063 or Agenda whatever year it is that's in the future are not going to be there. 
So on what basis are we actually saying, all right, this is what we need to, to do? Who is behind that vision? Who is championing uh, that vision, right? It's people who are not, we're not going to be able to hold accountable mm. at all. Yeah. And, and these are some of the problematic things then that, you know, institutions like uh, the AU uh, pretty much have all the time. So it ends up being sloganeering, you know, so just right. a slogan uh, yeah. for this, which is why in 2021, I'm sorry, uh, one last thought, we have this whole thing of, you know, uh, use our culture and heritage for the Africa that we want. Just throw it in there. Then in 2022, we move on to something else. <laughs> We look for another trendy theme. This is the first part of the conversation we have had with Levy. Stay tuned for part two.